for Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, polling has shown that white evangelical Christians are some of the most reluctant to take COVID-19 vaccines. The vaccine represents a real battle for the soul of the evangelical mind and heart. Curtis Chang, a consultant and evangelical theologian, joins me to discuss his effort to break through that hesitancy and get evangelicals vaccinated. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. COVID-19 vaccine reluctance is high among white evangelical Christians. Convincing them to get vaccinated means getting them to trust secular institutions they're often skeptical of, says Curtis Chang. The evangelical theologian and consultant has released a series of videos to encourage evangelicals to get vaccinated. He's with me now to discuss how he hopes to break through their skepticism. Curtis, thanks for talking with me. I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure. I want to start by asking you to tell me about the inspiration behind this video series and the work that you're doing to communicate to evangelical Christians about COVID-19 vaccination. What's kind of the origin story here? Well, the origin story actually lies in the fact that my sense of personal calling in life really is to stand at the intersection between the world of secular institutions and the church. So my current main job is as a consultant serving nonprofits and secular government, including public health agencies. But my former career was as a pastor of a evangelical covenant church in California. And I still um, am involved in serving the church as a theologian at divinity school appointments. And so I've always been at the intersection between the church and secular public institutions. And this came to a head right around the end of last year when I was talking to one of my clients who was the CEO of a secular large public health nonprofit here in the Bay Area. And she was describing to me concern about how the vaccine rollout was going on. And she was actually concerned not so much with, with conservative white evangelicals, but actually with Hispanics, which are the largest you know, sort of minority population where I am. And she just didn't understand why there was resistance. And I sort of had to ask her like, okay, you, you do understand half of them are Catholics, right? And she's like, yes. I was like, so do you have an answer for their fears that they're going to be implicated in abortion in some way? 
And then I said, well, you realize the other half are Pentecostals. Does the term mark of the beast mean anything to you? And she again had this sort of blank look on her face. And that's when I realized, oh, we have this massive divide that I've known about forever, but it was coming home to me in force between secular public health and the conservative uh, evangelical community. And that this was gonna be a major problem with the vaccine outreach because these two worlds didn't speak to one another, didn't trust one another, and yet their respective uh, agendas were going to be really clashing. Um, and we're seeing that, of course, with the fact that uh, the conservative evangelical church really represents the major audience that public health has to reach. The, the road to ending the pandemic is going to run through the conservative evangelical church. You're having this conversation with a public health official in late 2020. Meanwhile, a lot of the focus early on in the vaccine rollout when it came to hesitancy uh, was in communities of color. Do you have a sense that public health officials really saw this problem early enough that evangelicals, that conservative Christians were going to be the biggest challenge here? No, they did not. And even that my conversation reflects that she she was really more concerned with the minority population. So, you know, for very good reasons, the public health rollout of the vaccine has had a very strong equity, especially racial equity perspective. And for the reasons you described, certainly with the African-American community, there's important historical reasons for that hesitance and for why there ought to be that focus. But no, the answer is they did not see it coming. And even now, as we are working with public health officials, both at the federal and state levels, they're still very, very slow to wake up to the fact that the largest demographic that is you know, vaccine resistant um, is, is the white evangelical. And so I think we're, we're late to this and we need to act quickly because the longer we don't address uh, this community, the longer those uh, resist that resistance can harden. Yeah, and I think that gets us very nicely uh, to the first video in, in your series, Should Christians Take the Vaccine, where you talk a lot about trust. So for you know members of this community, what are the biggest challenges in getting them to trust the COVID-19 vaccine? Yeah, well, and this is where it's, it's really um, interesting to note that the issues for the evangelicals are at one level religious and one level completely not related to religion. It's, it, where it speaks to this weird mixture of religion and culture that I think is, is part of the issue uh, in the church broadly and especially among evangelical churches in that sense that, you know, there are some religious uh, specific issues of, for the distrust that I addressed in the videos. But I would say the most powerful reason is fundamentally just a massive reflex of distrust in institutions, almost any large institutions, but especially secular institutions and especially, especially uh, secular public health um, institutions. And so, and that's really, you have to understand that um, somebody is only going to take the vaccine is if they trust institutions, in particular the secular institutions, because none of us for the most part, lay people really understand the science in and out of the vaccine. We're taking the vaccine because the trusted authorities and institutions like the CDC or the FDA are telling us this is good for you, it's safe. Well, if you have an entire demographic that for a variety of cultural, some theological, some religious, but, but mostly cultural and especially politicized over the last several years, uh, reasons and, and uh, reflex, really, it's a, it's a reflex of distrusting institutions, that 
fundamental approach of just where institutions are saying, trust us, this is safe, this is good for us, is going to be met with a great deal of suspicion and resistance. What is then the argument you make to overcome that suspicion and resistance? Well, I'm trying to address it head on by first acknowledging that that really is the core issue and not to try to talk around it or talk past it. So I'm trying to name it up front um, and say, okay, this is where you're at. Let's talk about that. And then I am trying to make a theological conviction. I'm trying to appeal to their higher uh, sense of authority, ultimately to scripture, that actually the way God designed human beings to function, the way God designed the people of God to function, was to actually trust institutions. Now, of course, not blindly, not to assume that they're perfect, not to be uh, to tune out any sense that they could be wrong, but that we ought to, to have a fundamental sense of willing to listen and to trust institutions that deserve our trust. And I do believe that we can make a case that institutions like the CDC do deserve our trust on these matters. And that Christians actually, if they actually just for a moment, take a look at how they actually behave in their everyday life, they already are trusting in the very institutions that they need to trust for the vaccine. They trust these institutions every time they take aspirin, every time they take their kids to the hospital. They're fundamentally trusting the goodness of these institutions and that God has placed these institutions for their well-being. It's the exact same move with the institutions around the vaccine. But it, but it, it requires us, and this is where it's sort of this mix of accepting that their culture has primed them to distrust institutions and then trying to actually appeal to biblical authority as a higher authority than just their cultural and politicized uh, impulses here. I imagine a listener who is maybe not religious would hear that and say, well, how is it easy for someone to trust a religious institution but not a government institution when isn't it all just about trusting institutions? Yeah, well, but again, let's remember where we're at in, in the actual political, cultural realities on the ground. There has been a massive divide between religion and government that exists in the minds, anyways, of the evangelicals, that the government is out to get religion, the government is out to get the church. And, you know, some of that is certainly overblown. And by the way, a lot of that has to do with the fact that external forces are choosing to exploit evangelicals in this way. Uh, You know, the anti-vaxxer movement, QAnon, these are external forces to the evangelical church that have have sought to exploit the vulnerability of the evangelical movement, which does, I would say, in its origin and its history, it has a tendency to be on guard against secular institutions. And honestly, for some good reasons, um, that they do, they, they have some legitimate reasons to, to want to be on guard uh, against secular institutions that don't necessarily share their values and have at times encroached upon their realm of religious freedom. So it's not, it's not an irrational posture to be on guard. But what's happened is that that tendency that I think has some legitimacy to it, to be on guard, has gotten exploited and weaponized by external forces such that now it is a fundamental reflex of distrust. And that kind of reason to be on guard, I think, comes up nicely in one of your other videos where you talk about the idea of necessity when it comes to vaccinations and how over the course of the pandemic, there have been what you see as kind of government missteps and maybe closing things down too much. You know, you point to an example in in Nevada where the state allowed casinos to be open but didn't allow churches to gather in in some form. Um, And that maybe there is some fault, too, from 
from the government side when it comes to saying these things are the things that are necessary for the pandemic? Absolutely. I think public health has, in general, because they are so secular in nature, has not appreciated how much faith and religion and, and community for these communities are an essential service. And to lump them into uh, you know, other institutions, like in the case of Nevada, as, as casinos, where in fact casinos were, were favored more than churches were, the evangelicals take that as confirmation. Yep, these institutions, they don't understand us. Not only do they understand us, they're, they're actually out to get us and they don't value what we value. So why should I listen to them when they come now telling us, right? You're talking about at the local level, churches having to trust the very public health institution that closed them down in ways that they felt were unfair. And so uh, this is the divide that we're in. And this is what I'm trying to act as something of a bridge between these two worlds. The kind of counterpoint to that in that specific video was also you mentioning that there were some, in, in your mind, you know, religious organizations that also maybe mischaracterized the situation on, on the ground. Well, that's right. I mean, really, it comes down to the fact that even if you disagree with the government's ruling, the Bible is clear. We still submit to the ruling authorities. We can protest, we can pray, we can make arguments, but to actually outright disobey government uh, regulations, that's been part of the fault lines during the whole pandemic that is is part of the the backdrop to why uh, evangelicals are so suspicious of the vaccine is because you know, it's coming against a whole year where they felt like, you know, they've been misunderstood or um, kind of picked on and so forth. So this is where I'm trying to call Christians that even if there has been government overreach at various places, our most fundamental priority as Christians is not to battle against government encroachment in some ways. That's not the second greatest commandment from Jesus was, you know, thou shall prevent the government from stepping into your affairs. The second greatest commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. And so for Christians, even if you think that you don't need to take the vaccine for yourself, there are strong, compelling reasons to take the vaccine for our neighbors that are immunocompromised, that are elderly, that are at higher risk. And I'm trying to help Christians to see that is the second greatest commandment that we ought to actually take as our guiding cues on whether or not to take the vaccine. This is, did you wash your hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Curtis Chang, a consultant and evangelical theologian, about his work to convince evangelical Christians to trust COVID-19 vaccines. It seems like, Curtis, that so much of the approach that you're taking with these videos is kind of an appeal to logic and, and to say, you know, here is where you can find arguments for vaccination in, in scripture. I think with all religions, emotion is also a big part of the religious experience. So what, what role does that play here? And is, is one more powerful than the other? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I do think so much of this is actually emotion and visceral. And one of the things that really why I, I appeal to Christians on the love your neighbor thing is because I do think the emotion of reuni reuniting, of connecting, of feeling safe with one another is the prevailing persuasive emotion here. And we're trying to let our better angels be the guide here. Our desire to love and to serve being more than our impulses to be suspicious and to fear. And that's true for Christians, but it's true for every of all of us, right? And in some ways, I it's it's what I want to appeal also to your listeners 
who aren't Christians, uh, but do look with suspicion and fear among Christians, two Christians, two evangelicals, and to say, can we extend a little empathy to understand some of their reasons for why they're in their place and that they need to be reached out to and they need to be uh, sort of spoken to with some respect and empathy, even if we don't fully understand all of the reasons for why they hold the positions they do to try to get into their shoes a little bit. And, and that's, what I, that's been my message to, to secular public health. That was actually something, Curtis, I was going to ask you about. So I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, I think that there is a way that, that someone can say, look at reluctance to get a vaccine among any group of people and, and say, well, aren't they essentially demanding more attention in their reluctance? And the really ungenerous way to say that would be kind of holding the rest of us hostage while, while they decide not to do something. Are you worried that that is the public perception now that there has been more and more attention on specifically white evangelicals and, and their reluctance to get vaccinated? I think that's definitely present. And there is, it would be understandable to me why people would feel that way. Like, hey, I've been responsible. I've been wearing my mask. I've been getting my vaccine. And to feel frustrated and resentful towards a community that isn't doing those things. I get that. And that's, that's completely understandable. I guess my, my, my primary response is, if there's anything that the pandemic has taught us, it is that at the most fundamental level, we are actually all connected. We're all connected and interconnected and dependent on one another. And the decisions that any one of us make really do affect one another. And so, yes, I can understand why for a secular public health official or just a individual citizen could look upon this resistance to vaccine among the evangelicals with a sense of incomprehension to bordering on disdain and, and, and distaste, right? I, I get that. But the reality is at the end of the day, is we're humans. We're human beings who at the most fundamental biological level do affect one another. And if we're going to find a way to move forward on both Honestly, not just the, the, the virus and the pandemic, but on a whole host of other issues that are dividing our country, we're going to have to extend ourselves in, on both directions to, to have some sense of understanding of the different worldviews we hold and to see if there's some bridges we can make to act together on this. I think that that's probably one of the, the challenges of public health that, that a lot of people have struggled with over the pandemic. It's public health welcomes any and all takers who eventually want to accept an intervention and that there's really not a lot of space for, for shame or judgment because then that just alienates those populations. I think that's right. And I, I, I think once you make the case that there is this population with a very distinct set of views and reflexes with a tone of, of, of empathy and not condescension, I think ultimately people get that. Uh, I think that it, you're right. I think that is the, ultimately the public health sort of ethos. And we just need to activate that and actually figure out the right ways to reach out to them. And one of the things that I think that is, I've been trying to help um, public health officials understand is that the playbook that they are used to running with other populations isn't necessarily the right playbook with uh, with evangelicals. Like for instance, when I talk with public health officials, they often talk about, well, well, how can we get vaccination sites up at these at these white evangelical churches? Because that's the playbook that has worked historically, say, with black churches. And I have to explain to them, like, that's going to be a very difficult play because in the black church, if the pastor realizes this is something that's good for my community, they have the authority to go ahead and do that. And the rest of the church will go along. That's really not the case with many of these white evangelical churches where... If you've got even, say, half to 
25% of your congregation that is anti-vaccine, the pastor has to exercise their influence in a much more subtle way that doesn't um, cause this kind of blowback. How will you have a sense if this campaign that you're on uh, works at all? I mean, we've we've seen lots of polling on vaccine resistance. Is that something that you're closely watching? What does success look like for you for this project? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's success on multiple levels. Obviously, on the most fundamental levels, we're going to be watching what the actual uptake is among evangelicals for the vaccine. Because at the end of the day, we want shots in arms. So that's going to be certainly one thing. But I also think that a key test for this is the level of discourse and dialogue and the tone of that conversation, what that sounds like. Because at the end of the day, if a um, evangelical doesn't take the vaccine, I, I've got to re- respect that decision. And public health has to respect that decision. It is a individual decision. But if we can actually have that conversation in a way that is respectful, that takes into account the different worldviews in play, uh, where people are really trying to listen to one another and, and not just you know flame back with easy accusations towards one another, even if we don't get the shots in the arm, we're injecting into the civic bloodstream of the church and society something that for the long term is going to be critical for our health. So if someone's religious identity is only part of their identity, which we talked about earlier, and it's so entwined with other parts and other motivations, how is an appeal to religion, do you think, how is that going to stack up against, say, someone's identification with, say, a political party or or some other part of their lives? Yeah, no. And this is really where, why I've been so energized on this, because I am uh, trying to really call attention that really what's going on is a a battle for the soul of the evangelical mind and heart. That the the truest, highest authority ought to be scripture and Jesus, uh, Jesus as revealed in scripture. And that's always been the heart of evangelicalism. And the, the vaccine represents a real battlefront for whether or not scripture and Jesus are going to ultimately have the highest authority or whether these external forces to the church are ultimately going to hold sway. And this is where these other forces of culture, but especially politics, are battling for claim upon the hearts and minds of of our church. These non-religious authorities, and I I use the, you know, I'll use air quotes around these, uh, around authorities, uh, that come from either conservative media, secular conservative media, and then especially online movements like QAnon, like the anti-vaxxer movements, that ultimately at their core are not Christian. They're not evangelical. They're not Christian. Um, their authority is not, is not scripture. But they are seizing upon a population that is quite vulnerable for, for complex reasons to these messages, and they're getting exploited. They're, and and that, that cultural tendency to be on guard that we talked about is getting weaponized into distrust, into blanket distrust. And this is where pastors... This is our moment that we have to step up and we do have to reclaim our role, our religious biblical role as shepherds of the flock to guard against the, in the biblical terms, as Jesus says in John 10, the thieves and wolves that come from the outside that would come to steal and destroy the hearts and minds. And in the case of the vaccine, the very bodies, the very health of the bodies of our flock. I guess I didn't even think of this as kind of like a litmus test of sorts for for kind of where I don't know if allegiance is even the right word, but just where people put their trust. 
I think allegiance is the absolute right word here because it is ultimately about allegiance. Is our allegiance ultimately to Jesus and scripture and the ways that we are taught that through our biblically appointed leaders, our pastors, or is it honestly conservative media and what we see floating through our Facebook feeds or other social media feeds? Who ultimately are we allied to? Who ultimately do we trust um, for guidance on how we ought to approach how we you know, relate to the world and to our neighbors. I, I think it's absolutely the uh, fault line, the battleground, if you will, for the battle for the heart and soul uh, of the church. And this is why it goes deeper than just the vaccine. Um, it, it goes deeper to ultimately, you know, are, are we about Jesus or not? Curtis Chang is a consultant and evangelical theologian. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.